This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. From Genesis chapter 5, Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And he begot, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When did you last go on a walk with someone? I've always liked walks. You share the scenery, the experience with someone. You engage in conversation. You deepen the relationship. Oh, what's not to like about going on a walk? In Genesis, I noticed that Mahalalel lived and had sons and daughters. And Jared lived and had sons and daughters. And before them, Seth lived, Enosh lived, Canaan lived. But Enoch walked with God, sharing his life experience with God, engaging in conversation and deepening their relationship. And I wonder, am I really truly walking with God through life, or am I just living? Life's busy. It's easy to get busy living, isn't it? I've been on some long walks. I've liked them. My college roommate, Mark, and I, we took a long walk one evening uh, from our dorm room down to Walmart, several miles, and back one night. Uh, just a silly thing college kids do. But it was a fun little spontaneous adventure. It was a neat memory. I had the privilege recently of going on a three-day walk with uh, some of the men here. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a camping, camping trip, a hike. Uh, well, Derek would call it a challenge hike. And by that, by challenge, he means brutalizing. <laughs> and it was. But we saw some fantastic scenery. We had some uh, meaningful conversation. Uh, we, we shared ibuprofen, deep relationship building stuff, right? Now, uh, the three days was a good while but I can't match Enoch's 300-year 
walk with God. And I can't say from experience, but I would imagine that after walking with someone 300 years, you've gotten to know your walking companion pretty well. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Somebody once said that, that God, after walking all this distance, God looked at Enoch and said, Enoch, you know, by now we're, we're closer to my house than your house. Why don't you just come home with me? I wonder what kind of relationship did they have, did Enoch have with God, so that God would at some point, he'd just, he'd just take him. You know, like, yeah, let's just, just, just go home now. Sounds wonderful, wouldn't it? And I know it's, it's easy to get caught up in the, the part where he doesn't have to die, right? You know, the escaping death part is, is like, wow, you know, Enoch didn't die. But, but consider with me, if you will, the relationship part. You know, the, the walking part, those 300 years where he walked with God and was that close to God. You know, if we can use that escaping death thing as a measure of their relationship, then wow, wow, that, that's close. That is close with God. And I have, I've read that over the years, and I've, I've just sort of wished, can, can I have, you know, just a piece of, of what Enoch had? You know, just, just some, some fraction uh, of the closeness that... Enoch had with God to be that close with our Creator. But proximity with God, it can be dangerous. And I think it's good that we consider that. We are talking about God, after all, you know, who sits in the throne room of heaven, with the angels crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God Almighty. Even Moses, uh, at the burning bush, God stops Moses. Moses, Moses, he, he, yes, here I am. Stop, Moses. Don't come any further. Don't get any closer, Moses. Because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. In fact, go ahead and take off your sandals. Because... This is serious. And in Exodus 33, we read um, another uh, part where God warns about proximity. Uh, this is, you know, that he actually warns them before that, you know, don't, don't let the people get, get on that mountain. Don't let them get close. You put a, put a fence around you, put them off. If an animal gets on that mountain, then you stone it or shoot an arrow from a distance. Proximity with God is, is dangerous. And they have their golden calf uh, moment. That was tough for Moses. That was hard on the people. It was upsetting for God, naturally. Then the Lord said to Moses, chapter 33, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. To the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. 
And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Go on. Go. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, I am not going to go up with you. Y'all, go on. I'm going to send my angel before you. We'll clear out some stuff. But if I go up with you, you know, it may mean your destruction. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And when the people heard this, the New American Standard says, sad word. I'm not going up with you, God says. This is... This is a sad word. The Hebrew is is like bad and word or or saying or utterance, message. NIV says distressing word. When the people heard this distressing word, I like the, the New King James puts it as simply bad news. It's just bad news. But Moses intercedes for the people. He pitches this tent out way outside. I mean, there's the camp where everybody is, and then there's out in the distance, there's this meeting. Again, again where proximity is, is an issue. And it's out there, and Moses goes out there, and he meets with the Lord, and the Lord speaks to Moses out there. Verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people." I think it's interesting that God, when, when God addresses Moses this first time, it's like, this, this people that you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. And now Moses is like, no, this is your people. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's kind of like the, uh, look at what your son of yours has done. It's like, this is your son too. You know, it's almost kind of like that. But, but Moses is pushing, it's like, but remember, this is your people. And God says to Moses, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Isn't that good? Isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? And Moses responds, uh, like his response, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. It's like, it's, 
Moses is saying it's got to be that. It's got to be that you're going with us. Otherwise, we don't even want to go. If you're not part of us in this, then there is no trip. Just leave us here. Just leave us here. That's how hard Moses took that that news from God, that bad news, right? And that bad news, I appreciate that it wasn't something that Moses considered bad news, right? This isn't Moses' interpretation or the people's interpretation of what God said was bad news. The Bible says when the people heard this bad news, right? This isn't somebody else's interpretation. God is just telling us, no, this is bad news. It's bad news for you that I'm not going with you. That's bad news. But Moses interceded. Now, Moses isn't with us today, right? Jesus Jesus is with us today, God's own son. He is now the intercessor. He died in our place, right? Wiping out the requirements, nailing them to the cross, was buried in the tomb three days, rose again as a kind of first fruits of our own resurrection to come, right? This is, this is the gospel, right? This is the good news. The bad news was that God is that, oh, the sin separates us. I'm not, I'm not with you. I'm not going with you. I could destroy you in an instant. And then Jesus comes with, with the gospel, and it's, it's good news. It's not somebody's interpretation. God says, no, I was telling you before, that was bad news. Let me tell you now, this is good news. And when God says something good, it's it's. It's good. This is good news. And if that wasn't enough, again through Christ, you know, oh, um, the gospel is good news. So, so like Enoch, we can have that walk with God. God can be with us and go with us on this walk through life. It's not something that just Enoch had and we can't have, that we, we don't just look back wistfully, you know, thinking, wouldn't that be nice? We can have the walk with God now because of Jesus Because of Emmanuel, God with us. And if that wasn't enough, through Christ, we have escaped death, haven't we? Paul writes, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, 2 Corinthians, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He still will deliver us. 
So like Enoch, we walk with God. And at the day of judgment, we will not die. The second death will not be for us. Because God will take us. God will take us too. That's good news. Think about that. Now, are you excited about knowing the Lord? This is March, and we decided in March, we as a congregation and the men decided, let's, let's do March as a series on prayer. Series on prayer. And I'm, I'm always glad to, hear, cause glad to hear lessons on prayer because... Prayer is something that we just we need to be doing. It's good for us, and yet the busyness of life tends to try to strangle it out, and it's good to just hear it over and over again about the importance and the benefit of prayer. So I'm, I'm glad for that. And, and my lesson this morning, our lesson this morning, will be on... Um, The prayer of getting to know God better. Not just, there, there's lots of different types of prayer, and, and there ought to be. And those are all good things. There's supplications, there, you know, asking God for things. You know, and that's good. You know, we're told to do that. But sometimes there's just the, the prayer of aligning your heart with God. And that's the... That's what I want to speak on today. The, as an example, Elijah up on Mount Carmel, he prayed to God that God would send fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice on the altar. And boy, did, did God answer that prayer right there. As it's all gone, you know, incinerated. Oof. And, and, and then Elijah prayed again for, for rain, right? And, and there was rain. And then Jezebel heard about the whole prophets of Baal that Elijah destroyed, wiped them out. And so Jezebel says, I'm coming for you, Elijah. You know, I'm, I'm going to kill you. She wasn't joking, right? A, wicked, a very wicked person. And... So Elijah flees. He doesn't just sort of get out of town. He goes way down south. He gets out of the whole region of that part of the world. And he's hiding in this cave. And, and he, Elijah has a completely different kind of prayer. Right? He's not praying that God would you know, glorify his name for these people. He's not praying for rain for the countryside. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah just, oh, God. I have been so fervent for you. But I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left, and now they seek my life too. So just, just, just end this, God. Take, take my life now. I'm, I'm ready to go. You see how that's a different kind of prayer? 
He's not just taking care of business. He's pouring himself out to God. And it doesn't have to be exactly what ought to happen, right? God says, well, it's not time yet. We're going to keep moving for a little while. He, go, he encourages him, tells him that there's a, you know, there will be another prophet to take your place, and strengthens Elijah to continue and to finish what God has in store for him to do. There are different conversation types. You know, on the, uh, the hiking trail, you know, some of the conversations that we have out there hiking were very practical. We are, you know, communicating where we're going to cross a stream, you know, or what, you know, structures we're going to step on to get across and stay dry. We're talking, you know, where to you know, maybe handholds on the steep incline portions. And we're also talking about, you know, the scenery and we're sharing in the experience. But then, then at the end of the day, the end of the day's hike, we're wore out, we're hungry, we sit down around a campfire. And then there are the campfire conversations. And those are different. There's something deep about the campfire conversations. Getting to share, you know, in, in the meal time, the warmth of the fire, the rest from our labor through the day to just be with each other and share hearts in, in a deeper way. And that's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. There's a lot of stuff that we ought to be praying for, but then there's just the prayer where we, we open ourselves up to God, you know. And that takes us looking at ourselves. What is on my heart right now? And to share that with the God that we're walking with, that we're having the end of the day often, uh, restful conversations with. Jesus says, where God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, that, goodness, Life, life gets just hurried sometimes, doesn't it? Just, it's, like a, it's like a bunch of angry bees sometimes. I feel like that. And I look for that conversation, the walk with God, where I can have some rest. Jesus says, you will find rest for your soul. I want to emphasize, I want us to get excited about, to want to talk with God, right? To, uh, to converse with Him, to share ourselves with Him. And I would, I would say that if we're not talking with God like that 
to, to some, at some frequency, then we're missing out on our walk with God. You know? You can, you can take a walk with somebody and never say a thing. Not nearly as enjoyable. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. Yes, we need to do that. Absolutely, we need to be doing that. But if it's just an item on our list of obligations, chores that we need to do, if, it's, if, if we look at it like a burden, oh, I've got to still, you know, one more thing, I've got to, you know, then we're, we're, we're missing out. We're missing out. It should be a time of rest and rejuvenation. Daniel prayed, giving thanks and praise to God three times a day. Almost like a prescription, isn't it? You know, take this, you know, three times a day. That was so consistent that his enemies could form a plan against him that totally relied on that, right? I mean, think about it. Their, their whole plan against Daniel utterly relied on Daniel's consistency with prayer. They had, which means they had absolute faith in Daniel keeping his absolute faith. I appreciate that about Daniel. It says a lot about Daniel, doesn't it? What they knew of Daniel gave uh, those governors and satraps, gave them confidence that their, their scheme was going to work, right? It gave them some you know, faith that even though a law straight from the king, punishable by death, punishable by being eaten alive, was not going to break Daniel's consistency in prayer. That's what they thought about Daniel. And they were right. Isn't that amazing? That's what, I mean, they're like, oh yeah, Daniel's going to keep doing this. Is he, are you sure? I mean, he's, he'll know he'll be eaten alive if he does. And they're like, oh yeah, you know. No doubt about that with Daniel. Now, I'm not up here to say that there's a prescribed number of times a day that the Bible tells us we need to pray. Because there isn't. And there's, there's no command about how many times, how often. I remember a, a sermon that uh, the preacher I grew up with in Dayton gave about marriage counseling. And so he's, he's met with a number of different young couples getting married and talked about, you know, what marriage meant to them and, and what it was, you know, going to be like and, and, and try to, you know, get, get some, set some expectations. And he said that never once did the husband or the, the, the groom ask, exactly how many times do I need to be home in the evening to you know, have, have supper. Just, just tell me exactly how many times do I need to be home and, and I'll, I'll do that. Or how many times do I need to say or to tell my wife I love her? How many times a day? Do I, do I need to say it once a day or once in the morning, once in the evening? 
Do I need to say that a whole bunch of times? Just let me know how many times I need to say that. He says, never, never has he had that question. We know it's not about that, isn't it? It's not about just a numbers game. They're, getting not, they're not getting married so that they can fulfill some contractual obligations of, you know, some, some quantity of production. It's a relationship based off of love. It's the same. It's the same with God. Now, if a stubborn attitude of nowhere does it say how often is, is taking us into, well, I seldom ever do, then we, then we, gotta have a, then we got a problem, right? We, we need to make a change. If, if, that's, if that's where we're at, then we need, to, we need to make a change. Because yeah, we're being starved. It's starving us. We're, we're spiritually malnourished and weak for lack of prayer. It leaves us less able to perform all that other stuff that we think is you know, important. All that other stuff that keeps us so busy. It's like we're, we're less able to perform that as a child of God, as God would have us to, if our prayer life is suffering. There's a story of the guy that's, taken on a road, that's going on a road trip, and he, he's eager to get to where he's going. So he, he's, he's going, he's going, he's going, and his wife sits, is sitting next to him, and, and she sees the fuel lights come on. And it's like, you know what? It says that we're 30 miles to empty, but I know we still got, you know, 120 miles to go. And he's like, I, we don't have time to, to stop and get gas. Well, if you, if you don't think you have time to stop and get gas, then you sure don't have time to not stop and get gas, right? He's fixing to have a bad, long night on the side of the road, not getting anywhere. Daniel was blameless in his professional duties. So all these times, that he's, three times a day in prayer, did that cause him to not be able to do his job very well? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, what I'm, what I'm saying is it's the complete opposite. It enabled him to do his job better than everybody else did. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They're looking, they're, get, they're, they're auditing him, right? Secretly, behind his back. They're auditing him, looking for some sign of corruption, some, you know, under the table deal, some, you know, skimming off the top a little bit. They're looking, combing through all of that he's done with a fine tooth comb. And, but they could find no charge or fault because Daniel was faithful. Nor, the Bible says, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So this wasn't just, you know, how, are you, how good are you at keeping the king's books and, and managing the kingdom stuff. 
Like, he's blameless in all that he's doing. This was unusual. And remember, we're talking thousands of years ago, ancient kingdoms, and this was unusual in that political environment. There was, there was a king, there's a certain hierarchy, there's a lot of jockeying for positions. So it was for bribes and corruption were, were fairly common. Uh, backroom deals, alliances, politicking, very common back then. Boy, some things never change, do they? Some things just don't change. How do we make it through? How do we make it through a world like this? Well, that hasn't changed either. We stick close to God, just like Daniel did. Daniel was with God in prayer frequently. Whatever that number means to you, for Daniel it meant three times a day, but it was frequently in prayer and close to God. And that closeness with God directly impacted everything else he did. What does is, what is, what is the Spirit tell us in the New Testament today? Whatever your heart finds to do or your hand finds to do, do it not unto, as not unto men, but unto the Lord. For it's the Lord that you receive your reward. It's from Him. So that our closeness with God and Daniel's closeness with God, it impacts everything. It flows out of that. And his enemies, they understood that. And they say, Daniel 6, 4, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What a statement about Daniel. If we're going to find anything, it's going to have to be somewhere where his adherence to God conflicts with the king or the kingdom in some way. And of course, so they devise a scheme to do just that. They understood Daniel because it was apparent. It wasn't a secret. Why did Moses' face shine? Exodus 34. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And this really kind of scared the people, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> When's the last time you spoke with somebody and their face was like radiating? <laughs> you know, <laughs> not with like face paint or something. I mean, I suppose we got some, some technology we can kind of make that happen. But Moses' face shone because of his proximity to God. Our closeness to God directly affects directly affects how we present to other people. How we appear in the world that we're living in is, is directly affected by how close we are with God. 
And we don't even necessarily know about it, right? We don't, isn't that what we pray to God for? God, change me. You know, we say, God's not done working on me yet, right? I'm still growing in the faith. I'm still maturing. And as we do, God molds us and shapes us and sometimes remolds us and shapes us. And we look differently to those around us. One of my favorite psalms, or passages from psalms, uh, regarding this, Psalm 62.8. I've quoted it, uh, goodness, probably several times by now. It says this, Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. I've, I've given that verse a lot of thought. Pour out your heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to pour out your heart to God? How long does it take to pour out your heart to God? How often is it telling me to pour out my heart to God? I think that over the course of the days that we go on, it's kind of like how Jesus talked about you know, washing the disciples' feet. He says, you know, a person... A, that has bathed is clean and only, only their feet need to be washed, you know? What, they, what I'm talking about, they, they've, they've, they've taken their, their bath and they're clean, but if they walk anywhere, then their feet get dirty. So Jesus says, I just need to wash your feet. This is in response to Peter saying, hey, you know, wash, wash me all. Wash my head, wash my hands. He says, the feet are enough, because that's all that's really gotten dirty. Just you're going about through life, walking through this world, the feet get dirty, I'll wash them. I think sometimes we go through life and our heart collects things from this world. It it, It can pick up some anxieties, it can pick up some worries, it can pick up some some anger, some bitterness. It can pick up stress. It can, it can just pick up hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. It can pick that up. It can pick up hurt, and it can collect it. It can collect the hurt that we experience through our walk. It can pick up grief. It can pick up fear. One of these songs, uh, it's a children's song, supposedly. Man, it speaks to me. The, some of the lyrics of this song are, are, nothing that I'm scared of is scary to him, to God. And the reason that, that like really grips me is because I don't ever think about what's scary to me. You know, I, I don't know, maybe as, as adults we... we we move past that, you know, we know not to be scared of the dark and all this other kind of uh, things like that. But when I hear that verse, I'm like, nothing that I'm scared of is scared. Is anything that you're scared of scary to God? I'm thinking, well, what things am I scared of? I can't remember the last time I've thought about what things scare me. You know, if you ask a kid, they could probably just start listing it off. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. But, you know, I think it's good. It's good to think, to stop, 
to, to take a moment and think, wait a minute, let me think about what things scare me. So that I can recognize those things. And that, you know what? God's not scared of that. Because nothing that I'm scared of is scary to him. That's a children's song. Isn't that wonderful? One of my dad's favorite passages, I think of this often. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How long does it take to cast all your care upon him? What are your cares? Sometimes, like I said, you get busy, we don't... Uh, I don't even take time to think about, you know, what, what, are, what are my cares? But the Bible says, not only to think about those things, but, okay, now that you know them, now cast them on Him, because He cares for you. The Psalms, you've heard me speak of them many times in this regards, I think, by now, but the Psalms are a book of prayers. Think about that. 150 prayers that are written down in the Bible, all in one spot that you can go to anytime you want. See, the... In Ephesians, we have, you know, the Word of God is like what? It's, it's called the sword of the Spirit. And it's, it's the only thing that, uh, as far as those articles of the armor of God, and we, we, we discussed this with the, with the kids at my house last week, but it's the only thing in the armor of God that's not sort of a defensive thing. You've got the breastplate, the helmet, the shield, these defensive things. But the sword is the one offensive tool, right? It's the offensive part of the equation, of the, of the armor. And sometimes, you know, if you've been, to, I don't know, somebody's house maybe, but, or a museum, or you've seen a movie, you see, you see a sword up on the wall, you know, it's like a decoration, because it's, it, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a samurai sword, or it's just ornate, uh, you know, a lot of time goes into making those things, and it's, 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 it's worthy to be admired, to put, be put up there and to admire it. Wow, that's, you know, that's a beautiful sword. And some swords, like from ancient, um, uh, well, diff different places in the world, but I watched this documentary on a sword from sword making, or the swords that were used by some of the Vikings, and some of the steel that they used was very unique compared to all, many of the other different kinds of steel and swords that were uh, used in, the, uh, in Europe. <clears throat> and they would get this stuff and they'd, they'd examine that sword uh, under the microscope. You know, and they would document all the different the unique qualities, you know, the quality of the steel and how that made a difference and stuff like that. And that's appropriate, right? And the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is, is no different. It's worthy of being admired, and it's worthy of being studied. But you know what God wants us really to do with it besides those things? He, 
He wants us to use it. Don't just, don't just study it. Don't just admire it, but, but use the word. Use it. So I encourage you not just to read the Psalms, not to just study the Psalms or admire the Psalms or, or use them for you know, historical uh, purposes to understand you know, more of what's happening in 1st you know, and 2nd Samuel and Kings. And, but to use them. Use the sword of the Spirit that God has given you. So I've got a few examples here. And we'll close out uh, with these. Remember that I, I want us to think about prayer as a way to align your heart, to pour out your heart, to share yourself with the Lord. And it takes time to do that. And with Elijah, he was... You know, he wasn't in the middle of everybody or in the middle of doing... He, he found a cave, you know. He was in a cave doing this. So whether it's you need to find a cave or you need to find a closet, sometimes we just need to go somewhere by ourselves. Jesus would go up on a mountain, right, by himself. And we'd be alone there, maybe throughout the whole night. Praying to God. Another thing is that sometimes, you know, when I, I'm reading through these things, uh, the, these psalms, and it's not just psalms, I'll, I'll, I'll mention some others, but I may find just a little piece of the Word of God. And I find, boy, that just, that grips me. My heart at this moment needed to hear that. And I may have to dwell on that for a while. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe days. And it's okay to just sit on the same little thing over and over again for a while. Because sometimes it takes a little while for us. And that's not different. I mean, again with Elijah. Elijah, remember that... The, the prayer that I'm talking about there at the end, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he just, he just opens up to God. He just spills it out, all of his frustrations and his just exasperation. Just dumps it out there, which is what we should do. God asks him twice. So that Elijah you know, spills himself out there twice. And I think that was probably good for Elijah. Elijah, tell me. What's on your heart? Okay, now, later, tell me again <laughs> what's on your heart. And Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's up there and, he, and he, you know, he takes Peter, James, and John with him and it's nighttime and he goes a little further still. So he's, he's away and he's, he's alone. He goes down, his face is on the ground. Oh, my father, he says. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done. And this is a simple prayer. And then he gets up, and then he goes back, and he prays it again. And then he gets up, and he goes back, and it's three times. The Bible says, and he says the same words. And I think the essence of that prayer was like, oh, your will be done. 
That was, that was what Jesus was praying, right? He's praying, I am here and I'm just focused and my heart is saying that your will be done. And that that, that is what Jesus was meditating on through that night. So, it's okay to read through this, and not just read the Word of God, but to listen, right? Listen to the Word of God. Listen as it, maybe it speaks to you. For example, this is from Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Do you feel that sometimes today? It's like the, the, the world is just, just outright rejecting, spitting in the face of God. And it grieves us. Doesn't it frustrate you sometimes? Boy, it does me and sometimes. Boy, it, it does my heart good to come into the Bible and to hear God say, you know, I think you need to hear this. Like, yes, yes, that, God. I, that's, that's, what the, that's the problem right there. And it continues. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, and then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Oh, you've cast off these bonds, and you've broken your cords, and you've, you've rejected me. Well, God says, and yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. What, you know, you, all of this raging and stuff going on to reject God. And God says, and yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. It didn't change that at all. It didn't interrupt God's plans even a little. It calms my spirit. There have been times when I've prayed Psalms 51, famous prayer, right? Psalms 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your mercies, blot out my transgressions. You know, we're a people that need forgiveness, right? We're here not because we've got everything together, right? We're here because we don't have it together. We need Jesus. We need His forgiveness. And God says, you need to hear it like this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Yes! Yes, God, I acknowledge my transgressions. I have messed up. What do I need to hear next? Maybe... Maybe your heart resonates with God when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Yes, that's what I want. 
Sometimes it's like I don't, I don't even really understand what I want. And then God says, has written down for me, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And I say, yes, that's it. That's what I want. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Oh. And God accepts our sacrifice. God accepts us coming to Him with a broken and a contrite spirit. And, you know, sometimes I think God needs us, we need to hear from God that, yeah, you come to me. And I receive that broken spirit. Yes, it, that sacrifice is accepted. Sometimes I have been swallowed up with stuff. You know, stresses, deadlines, expectations, or just problems are going on and I feel powerless to do anything about it. Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. The Hebrew there has actually come up to my soul, but it makes more sense for our culture today. Oh, the water's come up to my neck, right? Maybe you feel like they've just gone right past your neck, you know, you know just drowning in this. And it's good for me to go and say, yeah, you know, David, save me, oh God. The, the waters have come up to my neck I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters and the floods overflow me. Oh, I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. I really like Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Psalms 139 is wonderful. It really, God, if, if you think that you're out here, and, and God is way over here. Psalms 139. God knows every step you make, every thought you have before you think it. He knows everything about you. He knows you intimately. He made you from scratch in your mother's womb. He's never made anybody like you before, and He's never making anybody like you again. You're one of a kind. Throughout all eternity. Psalms 139. Psalm 73. This really grabbed the attention of a, a co-worker, friend from mine. Just, oh, he, he was just struggling with, you know, it's like, oh, all this. It just seems like the world is, is all messed up. And everybody's doing terrible things, and they're getting away with it. And he was tired of seeing it. Psalm 73, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. 
They are not in trouble like other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, their pride is like their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. It's good for us to be able to align our hearts and hear these things that we, we can encounter throughout the day, throughout the week. Psalms 147, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Yes, indeed. You've got a broken heart? Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Sometimes I like to sit and just, just sit in silence and just be at peace. The psalmist writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. This is a short psalm. This is calm and quieted my soul. Be at peace with God. Because, you know, we know that God is in control. And it's not just the Psalms. Perhaps our heart, and our heart does, need to heal, uh, hear about how God receives His returning prodigal sons. Or how he's patient with his self-righteous sons. Or to hear how God is our shepherd. And he searches out for the one lost sheep. Are you the lost sheep? Are, do you grieve for a lost sheep? God searches out for the one lost sheep. There have been some times when just reading through what God says of himself in the book of Isaiah. I, I am God. There is no other. There's a lot of idolatry going on. And I think there's a lot of idolatry going on in our culture today. You know, the almighty dollar. And I really boy, resonated when God said in Isaiah, I in God alone there is no other. Let there be no mistake. And I just sit. And I just soak in that like a warm bath. There is one God. There is none other. There's a lot more in the Word. I have hoped to give you just a taste of what might await you perhaps tonight. If you care to block off some time to be alone with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you expect some... Uh, Emotional, supernatural uh, experience. 
but we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I find that most of my times with God in such a way end in worship, in adoration for who God is. That even though if I've got lots of things on my heart, I pour them out to God, I, I pour out my anxieties, I find that the love of Christ guards my heart, right? If you're here and you want us to pray for you, no better time. We're starting a series on prayer. If you're here and you haven't really started this, this walk with God yet, then now there is no other time other than now. We only get the now, right? Tomorrow is, is uh, not promised. Yesterday is past. All we have is today. That's why we, it's, it's a gift. That's why we call it the present. Please come forward and we will take care of that. And you can be baptized into Christ, into this walk and relationship with God. We will stand and sing here after I say that from 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.